0: The more we learn about COVID-19, the more questions and worries we have. CalHOPE can help with free COVID-19 emotional support. Call 833-317-4673 or live chat at calhope.org today.
1: Gentlemen, start your engines. This is going to be occasion for a lot of people, not the least of whom is myself, in a race to remember. But this is absolutely godsmacking. Down, He hasn't
0: even hit the brake yet. it has gone crazy at the top of the hill. What an off-the-scale
1: car race. G'day, I'm Dan Hollihan. Welcome to my motorsports podcast, On the Couch with Holly. Today we chat to Joey Morrison. who's the current S5000 champion and a former Formula 4 champion. This episode is brought to you by Exclusive Body Works, a world-class repairs business situated in Granville. You can visit their website, which is in the show notes. Welcome to the podcast, Joey. How was your holidays, man?
0: Been really good. I've uh, had a, a nice summer, uh, although the weather hasn't been fantastic this year, but been a really good start to the year so far.
1: Yeah, yeah. I noticed you are at the go-kart track with Harrison, I think Harrison, or a Morimoto, yeah, yeah, correct, yeah, yeah. Yeah. and
0: Mitch Koval, yeah. yeah, all the
1: boys that you've had from go kart,
0: yeah, indeed. Yeah. So we're we're starting to get uh into the four stroke karting. Um, it's good fun that we we do as a group, and uh, I even got some of my mates that are not from racing uh, yeah. that come from a soccer background that are now getting into it now. So yeah, it's all a lot of fun.
1: I think they were at your S5000 race as well, weren't you? A whole bunch of guys at that go-kart track supporting you for your win at, in the S5000 championship.
0: Correct. No, we've got a good group and uh, they always create a good vibe wherever we go. So uh, it was pretty special to have them all there for, uh, for Eastern Creek when we managed to win the championship. So yeah,
1: Talking about Eastern Creek, at the age of seven, you actually, I was there too with Troy Hunt. You began doing laps with your dad in a little red... 53 go-kart. <laughs> do yeah. you remember those times back then?
0: I do. I do. Very faintly, but uh, yeah, it's really good memories. I mean, uh, we started out with uh, Troy Hunt helping us out, good old Eastern Creek and Lift Go days. So, no, they were good fun.
1: So back then, you're um you're working really hard. You're doing many, many laps. As a midget, when you started in the club days, how many like tracks did you go to and um, who was the one taking to the tracks the most out of your parents? I would say initially it
0: started off being my dad, but then as I uh, started getting uh, a little bit more competitive and started going to the bigger meetings, dad was obviously the one that was earning more money, more wages. So mum started taking me to the track probably from about nine, 10 onwards till pretty much the end of my karting career. So dad started coming to the track a lot less.
1: So you moved away from Troy Hunt into Top Kart with um, Kart One Racing with Tim Craig. Tim Craig was a huge influence on your career. Obviously, you're best mates with Josh these days. Tell me more about your time with Kart One Racing.
0: Yeah, so um, initially I actually came onto car One Racing. I was still in a Arrow Go Kart and then I moved into Top Kart with Tim Craig and uh, he was a, a massive help in my career. I mean, in the end, I ended up going to Europe through Tim's connection that he established when I did the un- Under-18s World Championship. He was one of the, the people that really helped build up my career in karting. Uh, there's many others that I'll probably dive into later. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he was a, a big influence on my career and then obviously growing up with Josh, I mean, Josh was was very hands on from a young age, and I remember growing up and him catching lizards and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah, that was good days.
1: You grew up in Campbelltown, correct?
0: Hinchinbrook, Hinchinbrook so like Liverpool area.
1: Yeah, okay. You've got a big family. I've seen on social media. Like when you do come home, or when you did come home, you had the massive family Christmases. <laughs> Can you explain a bit about your, like your family background? Like
0: yeah, so dad. Oh, well, from my dad's side, we're obviously Australian and, and English through my pop. And then from mom's side, we got the South American background. Yeah, every year for Christmas, we always gather with our South American family friends that are basically like my cousins. And uh, four families celebrate Christmas together, so that's always good fun. Yeah, it's pretty much been our tradition since I was probably like six or seven years old that we we'd celebrate all together every year. Yeah, obviously very proud of my Peruvian and South American heritage. It's where I get most of my looks from. I don't look too much like my daddy's <laughs> in blonde hair, blue eyes, and you know pretty south american looking i guess <laughs>
1: <laughs> obviously a lot of people knew that you got involved in go karts at a young age and you went on to race in europe and stuff but how did you actually get involved in motor racing and what was like your ideal thing back then that got you involved
0: so i actually initially started on motorbikes in PW 50s doing uh, mini cross yeah um, over at blacktown and then uh, one of dad's friends had a go-kart and uh he actually let me like try the go-kart out for six months at butterfly farm growing up there doing laps and then uh I was pretty fortunate that I had the opportunity to choose between going the direction of mini cross or go karts, and I managed to choose go karts. So that was kind of when my karting career started to kick off. Obviously, initially it starts as a hobby and then it turns into an expensive career and passion. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and you've had a lot of funding, a lot of sponsorship to get you where, you where you are now. But yeah, back then you were finding your craft, moving from bikes to karts. Your mum was like massively passionate about your racing career. Was she the one to push you from bikes to karts?
0: Um, no, nah, pretty much it came from my own. I mean, dad was the one that initially started me in mini cross, and then they, they really just left it up to me. Um, I think it was a, a wise decision because I'd probably have a fair few injuries if I went down the motocross route. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty normal to be stacked on the bike pretty often. And I'm also glad that I went down the karting route. I mean, uh, I feel it's naturally a bit more what I've been meant to do. Why the number 96? Because of Dave Terra and Warren White Jr., who used to mechanic and mentor me. So when I was growing up in midgets, Warren White Jr. used to run 96 and yeah. his dad used to mentor me and, and help me. And Dave Sarah was also my inspiration. So that was where I got inspired to run the 96. And I guess now it's going kind to of become my identity.
1: And obviously you've run 27 and what, what other numbers have you run? Uh, 88 yep.
0: for a while when 96 got taken. Actually, I moved up to Junior Light and was racing against Warren White. And out of respect to him, I changed to 88. So yep. I ran that for a bit. And then when I wasn't racing him anymore, I went back to 96 and I run 27 because I'm born on the 27th, Casey Stoner and Ayrton Senna ran 27. So that's where I got the inspiration to run 27 and 96 is taken. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll skip a bit forward in your career and come back, but um, you were actually, you, you're very close to Shane Piper, and I've had John McCorkendale, who we touched on, which you listened to that episode yeah. where John McCorkendale's mates with Shane's son. Yeah, with Shane's um, son, Darren, yeah. Yeah, so Shane's been a big influence in your career, and he was your engine builder, and he even actually went overseas. Can you actually touch on how that ha- all happened?
0: So um, Shane obviously started off as an engine builder for me, and then he came on as a mechanic. From then on, he really started to become a big mentor for me. I dedicate a lot of my success in karting through the knowledge and teachings of, of Shane Piper. Yeah, we, we started to really bond a, a personal relationship. And uh, even now, you know, I'm still in contact with him. And I uh, give him a ring every now and then to ask for advice and touch base with how we're going. But yeah, Shane, he was a massive help to my career, not just with the engine building, but just learning the fundamentals of racing and the mindset going forward.
1: There was a part of time in your, in your Stars of Carding career where it was actually Shane and Bertha just helping you out, wasn't it, through that part?
0: Correct. So that was when Dad was actually working. So Mum used to travel with me in the car and then we'd arrive at the track, probably do the Thursday practice, just me and her, and then Shane would arrive on Friday and take over from there.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, talking about your dad, your dad was a hardworking truckie. Can you explain when you, you know, throughout the week, like, your home life throughout the middle of the week in your karting career. You know, your mum was working at a chicken shop, your dad was a truckie. Can you explain just living up and going to school at that stage?
0: Yeah, well, they were always very strict on me going to school as much as I could when obviously I didn't take days off for racing. So, you know, typically we would be driving back from Melbourne on a Sunday night, arriving home at, you know, 3, 4am and I'd still be at school on time come Monday morning, which uh, obviously at the time I was never happy about. (laughs) (laughs) But I was having enough days off school Um, anyway. To be honest, when I was growing up, my mum and dad were always working. I mean, I didn't really realise at the time, but obviously they were going through financial troubles with funding my my career. I didn't really understand what red bills were at the time, but we used to get a, a lot of them. Yeah, obviously very grateful that they stuck, like, stuck through and uh, kept believing in, in me and allowed me to continue my passion.
1: Did they actually mortgage your house before um, my stepfather, Jeff, came on board? They did. So we have spoken about your carding career. You matched up with AMSF yep. back then, the Rising Star. That's when they were cams were going a different way and you stayed with Jeff, who started the podium group. Can you explain how you went from international karting to racing in France?
0: So at the time, obviously, I was supported by the Australian Motorsport Foundation um, in their Rising Star program. And um, yeah, after that karting season, I didn't have the best season, but um, Jeff and, and the board had agreed to support me going into cars, which obviously I was super grateful for because... I never would have had the budget to be able to move up. So without their support, you know, it's it's been able to help me bridge my dream and make a career. And uh, yeah, I remember going into a boardroom at 17 years old, which I would even be intimidated now at the age I'm at now, but let alone at 17, I don't know how I managed to do it. And uh, basically I had a good meeting and convinced them to give me support and we decided that um, the French F4 would be the best championship.
1: Who was racing back then in the French F4 Championship that actually sort of made a name for themselves, or who's still involved in car racing now? Oh,
0: mechanics definitely. There's there's a lot that have um, gone into the Le Mans 24 hour, even into GTS. You know, drivers that I race against were Pato owad He's obviously IndyCar star now. Yep, uh, was battling for the championship, IndyCar Championship last season. Yeah, and then obviously Bokalachi, who was a, a karting superstar at the time.
1: He's in Super Cup now, isn't he?
0: Yes. He's had a bit of a weird trajectory with his career. He's gone to Formula 3, back to Formula Renault, then the GTs, and then back to Career Cup. So he's...
1: He likes to have fun on Instagram, though, doesn't he? <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. He's a good, he's always a good laugh on Instagram.
1: <laughs> well, now we'll talk about your international karting career. You'd moved over, I think, at the age of 14, I think.
0: No, no, 16.
1: Um, where did it all start over there? And you were with Top Kart, or was it Cosmic? Or Top Kart.
0: Top yeah. Kart Factory Team. So how it all started was um, I did the Under-18s World Championship with them. Tim Craig actually established that connection. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously that went really well. I managed to win the last round of the Under-18s World Championship. And then they offered me a, a contract to race with the factory team throughout the year. And um, yeah, after Bahrain, I basically jumped on a plane and moved to, to Italy, initially living with my auntie and uncle. And uh, yeah, basically from there, it, it kind of just started. Like I, I dropped out of school and I was starting year 12. and um, made that move I mean it was a, a one shot one opportunity kind of move that I just had to take
1: how many years was it overseas in karts though before you came back to talk about your french deal was it was, was it with multiple kart chassis brands or was it just the one top kart
0: i ended up doing uh, a race with cosmic for my last two races so that was with the cosmic factory team that was just for the world championships and it was actually because Topkart uh, top Cart didn't enter for the world championships and obviously we had that in mind to do that on my uh, karting program so those were actually my final two starting career races. We'll go back again
1: <laughs> <laughs> to your um, Aussie exploits and like the time you spent in Australia. I think it was twenty-one state titles, or there were so many stats on, <laughs> online. How many? How many like nationals and states did you win back then?
0: I won three nationals, the yep. junior junior nationals, and then uh, nineteen state titles. Nineteen. Okay, I was a bit off there.
1: But uh, <laughs> can you remember?
0: <laughs> like me generous, <laughs>
1: <part>. <laughs> can you remember your like maiden, like your first moment? Where you're like, okay, I can actually make a career out of this. And, uh, from like your Australian standpoint, before you went overseas,
0: that's a good question. I'd probably say. I reckon when I, when I won the dual nationals in juniors at 14, that was probably the point where I really thought I could make a career out of it.
1: Was there any tracks that was like your favourite track outside of Eastern Creek? Because obviously that was your <laughs> home track.
0: <laughs> I would say Rally was my favourite track. I don't know if you ever drove that track, Rally. Up yeah, in in yeah, Coffs yep, yep, They've wrecked it now because they keep putting bloody drift cars around it. But um, <laughs> yeah, I reckon that's probably the best track I've driven in the world.
1: He had a huge rivalry with Pierce Lahane. <laughs> do, you remember, do you remember the time back then, where, where magazines of like pop culture back then, where you were like Pierce Lahane and you were like the two like rivals?
0: We were massive rivals, even to yeah. the point where you know our families were butting heads. You know, I have a lot of respect for him now, and uh, I was really happy to see all the success uh, he had post our rivalry. Yep. you know, managed to become European champion and win many more Australian championships. You know, it was a it was a rivalry that made us both better and push us to another level.
1: It was pretty interesting because yeah, as you said, Pierce and you, there was a bit of tit for tat in the pits. Are you now like friends with him or do you still have that rivalry? Like are you happy for each other now? No, no. It-
0: even like even when we went away from the track, we mm. would still kind of be like friends. It yep. was just the intensity of competing against each other that created that rivalry. Like I remember we would be testing two weeks out from a state championship and we'd be on the side of the track chatting. And then, you know, our parents would probably get into it and say, oh, you shouldn't be speaking to each other, blah, yeah. blah, blah. So,
1: did you work? Like back then, obviously there was a lot of guys coming through the, the ranks in the junior ranks too who are now in supercars and whatnot. But back then, did you go to him, hey, we team up together and we'll push away from the rest of the field and then battle amongst ourselves? Or was you like, no, nah, let's just bring the rest of the field in?
0: To be honest, we were always, without sounding um, arrogant, in, especially in J-Max, we would always pull away and it would eventually yeah. be us two battling. And generally always in the finals, it was whoever led the first initial laps would go on to win the race. So um, you know, always the start and the first few corners were intense because whoever was in second would normally get shuffled back and then by the time the other one got into second, whoever was leading, whether it was me or him, would generally pull away. So um very often remember he was much better in qualifying and uh we would generally be strong in the pre finals and
1: finals. You'd warm yourself up and then try to beat him in the final.
0: Well Piper would actually set up the go kart so that we could have a better better card on old tyres. So we would sacrifice getting the most out of the new tyres, but set up the cart to be better for the pre-final and final once, you know, the tyres worn down. Because obviously in Australia, you only race on one set of tyres, whereas yeah. in Europe, you normally get two. Yeah, so, right. you know, you've got to really be really intelligent with how you set up the go-kart across the whole weekend, because the final's the only one that matters, right?
1: You're talking about your European karting days, and you actually had two sets of tyres compared to Australia with the one set. Did you find that a bit... Off when you first went there, and did you have to get used to like the whole mechanics and the whole setup because it was a lot more bigger back then, and now it's obviously I'm here to Australia like the setup like they have in Europe. But did you find that intimidating when you first went over there? I wouldn't say I found it
0: intimidating, but I definitely found it was a fair bit of change to adapt to because I'd never driven so much grip when I went to Europe, and I also think that's why when the Euros come to Australia, even though they're such a high level in class, they actually struggle here because they're not used to driving with no grip. So when you've seen Euros come over, you know, like Lennox Lane came for. A race you know, a couple of years ago as well,
1: wasn't it? And it's Cremers, been, you know, yeah.
0: they don't just kick ass here like they normally would in Europe because they're just not used to driving with low grip. And I, I found the same transitioning. So in that year that I raced in Europe, the best track that I competed at was Sano, which had minimal grip compared yep. to all the other tracks. And the Conca yep. coincidentally was my worst track. <laughs> And you know, I wasn't used to going up on two wheels all the time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Probably the most thing you had there was with Newcastle or Rally, I guess, with the, with the two-wheel experience.
0: Yeah, oh, I never got close to two wheels in Australia. Yeah. Never, never. <laughs> so, I mean, in Europe, I remember I was going on two wheels a couple of times a lap and they just told me, just put the gas on. As soon as it's going up, just full yep. gas. I'm like, well, you can't put full gas before the Apex. <laughs>
1: He's still going to bloody turn in. <laughs> yeah, you raced on uh, Max Verstappen back then, didn't you, as well? And he was obviously, he went pretty much straight into Formula 1, which is now kind of stopped, Yeah. which they, now they had the point system. Who was the guys that you raced back then? There would have been Lance Stroll, Gasly. Leclerc, uh,
0: I didn't get to race against Mick. Russell, I yep. drove against Russell in KF. Yeah, I would say uh, Norris, I didn't get to drive against in karting, but in Formula 3 and Formula 4. But, yeah, a fair bit of the new generation that's coming through. One year, though, I yep. drove with him in Formula 4, Formula 3. Yeah, good times. I remember Max was truly something special in a go-kart. Like, when you watched him, it was like, wow.
1: So you rate him as he is now, back when he was? Oh, in go-karts,
0: he was, for me, the, like, best driver I've seen. Um, Leclerc was also special. I remember yep. when I competed against Leclerc, at the time, I was like, this guy's going to get to F1. You could just sense it. You could
1: it. just tell those two were going to make the Formula 1.
0: Yeah, especially Leclerc. Leclerc, because he had good management. Very professional and just clearly had talent. It just seemed like the whole package was there. So this was even before he jumped in the car.
1: We'll talk about your European scene. You were talking about those guys. We'll talk about your time in Formula Four now outside of the French <laughs> team, where um your first season you I think you finished third and lost to second by like three points I think in your first season. Correct. Your teammates are Harrison, Newey and Mick Schumacher. Yeah. Um, how was the the three Musketeers as you know? Like <laughs> you guys are good friends. You have good friends now, but um yeah. How was it those two years with with those guys before they moved on in their careers?
0: Um, yeah, it was good fun that first year. I remember, obviously, there was a lot of attention on uh, Mick making his debut. There was paparazzi you know, outside the tent. I yeah. wish I could have some photos here to show you, but um, I remember the mechanics building the cars and just having like the whole front of the tent covered in photographers just waiting for him to pop out.
1: Really? So wow. It
0: was, it was nuts, nuts, the publicity that he brought and even Harry brought to an extent, but especially Mick. But yeah, it was always good fun driving with them. I remember... As teammates, they tended to clash a bit, even though we had a friendship yep. off the track, particularly Mick and Harry, because they were probably more uh, on track together than, than yep. I was with them at the time.
1: They were very high profile. You were racing for essentially a Formula One career at this point, weren't you?
0: Correct. I, I learned a lot from both of them. There's always you know, good and bad things that you pick up from drivers. You know, everyone's got their strengths and weaknesses. So it was really interesting to, to observe it and, and use it.
1: Obviously, we know it. Rick's doing now, but what's Harrison doing? I can't keep up with his career. He's doing a bit of LMP. Is he designing cars like his dad, or what's he doing now behind the scenes, is he, or is he just racing?
0: As far as I know, he's just racing, and I, from what I last remember, he was doing a bit of work for Loss. Some company in, in England, they run, um, they run cars in, uh, what's that, Formula A? E? Oh, Extreme yes, e?
1: yes, Extreme E. Yeah, and simulator, yeah. simulator yeah.
0: drivers. Last I remember, he was doing some work for them, but also like you, I'm try- struggling to keep up with his career. Is you know, in Japan one year and then he's in DTM and God yeah. knows what he's doing now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, well, obviously we know what Mick's done. He's moved to Haas and whatnot like that. But yeah, you won your first international, or outside of go-karts, your first international championship in Formula 4. It pretty much skyrocketed you back here because I remember you do coming back to Albert Park and talking to Mark and, and at the Grand Prix. What was your trajectory from that point to get into F3, European F3?
0: So... It was actually a very intense year because I remember Jeff and and the late Tom Warwick, you know, before the season started, they said, "Okay, we're going to put you in for another season of Formula 4, but you have to win it this season. If you don't win it, we gave it a good crack. If you do win it, we'll move up to Formula 3, figure out how to get the
1: budget. Sounds like my stepdad.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So so no pressure, but um, it turned out to be a a successful season and um, obviously... We managed to win the championship against Mick. So I didn't realise how much publicity and momentum it brought in my career when you win a championship. Also, mm-hmm. the offers we were getting, um, you know, we got an offer to do the, the Winter Series in British F4.
1: At this point, so you'd won the German F4 championship and you were racing over there. What are the teams that were, you were getting offers from? Formula Renault teams. Yeah, some of the Formula 3 teams. Can you touch on the teams, though, that you're, like, Carlin, or is it, you know what I mean? Like, you know. uh, Arden actually
0: came knocking on our door for GP3 when I was in German F4 that season, during yep. that season. In Formula 3 at the time, we were speaking with high-tech, um, obviously Panamistool Racing. Um, we did speak a little bit with Carlin, but their seats filled up very quick with Norris, Derovala, Habsburg. Yep. So although Trevor spoke highly of me, there wasn't any spaces there at the time. Um, so it was basically pretty much between high-tech and Van Sport. Van Sport obviously offered me a, a really good deal, so that's why we decided to stay with them.
1: Yeah, what do you think about them moving into F3, which was GP3 when you were racing it, and F2 now? Have you actually spoken to them since their move?
0: Uh, I haven't yet. I'm actually about to send a message to Fritz just to congratulate him because it was always a long-term vision of them to, to move into Formula 2 and Formula 3, particularly when... Uh, Guy Lally was invested into the team. Um, yep. that was when during the time I was racing. If people don't know, Guy Lally is the one that started Circus the Soleil. I didn't
1: and, know that, so that's good
0: to know. <laughs> yeah, so and he turns out to be a billionaire. So Yeah, okay, yeah, right. <laughs> so he was um, investing into Van sport at the time. They own he owned half the team. Yeah. 50, 50, 50, 50 with Fritz and I really saw the transformation of Van Sport in the three years that I was there, you know, from the first year to when Guy came on board. You know, that's when Van Sport had their whole Look changed. We moved from a tiny factory to a huge factory. We ended up moving from two trucks to four trucks, expanding from one simulator to three simulators. So the whole team, you know, infrastructure just got completely upgraded and changed, which was obviously really positive for the team.
1: So do you reckon their goal obviously now in F2, F3 can be like Prema Because they've got a billionaire behind them. Is that their goal now that they've moved up?
0: I'm not sure if Guy's still invested into the team, but uh, obviously that's their long-term vision.
1: You're listening to On the Couch with Hooley. Thanks again to Exclusive Body Works for sponsoring this episode. Now back to Joey Mawson. When you were racing in European F3, you are with Van Ammer Sport, I think you got one or two podiums. I think you are on the chance to win a race around one of the tight streets. circuits. I forgot that street circuit. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> it I was an intense race. That. How was it like racing in the European F3 scene? Like obviously, we were talking about guys that you've raced, and they're obviously finding their, their teams like Girovala and stuff like that. How was it racing throughout, was it the two years or the one year that you were racing? One year. One year. So how was it racing before you moved into GP3 at that stage?
0: I would say Formula 3 was probably one of the coolest championships that I ever did in my career. The level was very, very high. I mean, you know, the cars themselves, in my career that I've driven so far, it's probably the coolest high-tech car that I've driven. The downforce was insane, overpowered the power that we, like overpowered the grip, basically and power that we had. I mean, we didn't have a, a massive grid then, we only had 18 cars, but the names that were in that grid a lot of them are in Formula One and Formula E now and yep. guys like Maxi Gunter, Jake Dennis, Leonard Norris was in there one year Joe, Mick Callum Arlott, who's in IndyCar so you know the names of the grid were, were huge and uh, the circuits we got to drive or also was amazing I had a difficult season but I learned so much during that season and just to be able to compete in that championship was amazing. Did
1: you ever race against Antoine Hubert? Uh,
0: not in cars only in karting actually no correct me I did drive against him in GP3
1: yeah, right. How did yep. you um, find the when he passed? Were you there at the track or were you actually in another? Yeah, I was point? actually
0: watching on the grandstand. I missed the crash initially. I was actually watching with, uh, with, a, with a friend and, and she saw it kind of happening at the top of the hill at the time. Mm. I was basically watching on the grandstand in between A Rouge and mm. the first corner, La Source. And um, I, I remember just, it was sh- shocking mm. hearing the news. I thought it was Tatiana Calderon initially and then when I heard it was Antoine and then you're hearing it's not good. Yeah, I think when they switch the TV's off and the marshals aren't doing anything and the white flag goes up, that normally pretty much signifies that someone's died.
1: Racing at that level you realize how dangerous the sport is, don't you? Because obviously back at karting and you know even the stuff that I do state level stuff, it's fast but it's not like super fast, right? Yeah. But at that level you realize holy shit these things are quick. If one thing goes wrong, like one tiny thing goes wrong, I could end up a paraplegic or you know, death. You actually sign that on the stuff when you when you yeah, race do you know what I mean true. like that's but you don't true. think about it as a race car driver but when no. you saw Antoine Huber even as me as a driver and as you and because you were at that type of level you were like holy shit this is different
0: the reality kicks in how dangerous our sport is and how fragile life is as well so um it's uh it was probably the first time where I really didn't want to be at the track longer than I needed to you know as soon as my race was done in Super Cup, I just wanted to get out of there because it was such a, a dark dark vibe after he passed away you know the whole paddock just didn't feel the same kind of felt like what are we doing here?"
1: We were talking about your European F3 days. You moved into GP3 with Arden. Yep. You did the full season there. I think you got, again, you got a few podiums again, but every time you've raced over in, in Europe, as I know, because Jeff's part of my family, they couldn't podium get you like a top team, which really helps as you've seen with Premier and stuff and Carlin. Yeah. So what was your time racing with like Arden, who was a mid-pack team and getting a podium with them? Were they enthusiastic that you got a podium for them? And what was like the yeah, Absolutely the time in the F1 paddock for the first time?
0: Um, it was really cool. I mean... Obviously, driving an F1 paddock, it feels like the level is higher, although I I felt like at the time, European F3 was, was hard and the professionalism was there, but just being an F1 paddock, it gives the illusion that it was a to a higher standard. But yeah, driving with Arden, I mean, obviously, we had a difficult season, but to get the two podiums, the team were enthusiastic with all the troubles and struggles that we had. Yeah, the GP3 car was a lot heavier than the F3, about 100 kilos, but um, it had a lot more horsepower, so... Um, you know, driving with that horsepower made it fun to drive and obviously with the DRS. and you kind of felt you're a little bit more in sync with F1 driving the Pirelli tyres and having the push-pull cool push and, you know, having to manage your tyres in the race and driving with the hand clutch was obviously <laughs> that, that was really cool. Not, not the easiest thing in the world but yeah. that was yeah, really good Did fun. you
1: find it overwhelming moving from like the European F3 to the paddock though? Like, did you find it very like, whoa, well, the wow factor, was, it, was the wow factor there? Like, holy shit, I'm on the, F, I'm on the F1. Yeah. You
0: definitely do get that, yeah. And you're driving on the F1 weekends, and we see you're travelling with the F1 circus around the world. So, yeah, people are watching you on TV now. Everyone's watching on Fox Sports and tuning in. So you get a lot more publicity and viewership, which was, which was nice.
1: For me, I actually still get more nervous hopping in a go-kart than a car, right? <laughs> I don't know why, that's just me. What's the most nervous you've felt for yourself? Like, was it in the F1 ranks? Was it in the S5000 ranks? Or is it in the go-karts that you felt the most nervous? And
0: I reckon in karting, the intensity in karting. I mean, I remember times feeling, like, very sick to the point where I wanted to vomit before the race just because of nerves in karting, even though it's probably not as important. At the time, it feels like every race feels like a bloody world
1: championship Yeah, game. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I feel too.
0: In karting. But, yeah, in cars, uh, yeah. Probably the most nervous I've ever been in a car was um, before the last race in S5000. The championship was on the line.
1: That was pretty intense watching it. It was
0: intense. I mean, it was supposed to be a straightforward race, but I turned it into an intense race <laughs> with my mistakes. So, uh, you, yeah, you, you
1: turned the entertainment factor up on Channel 7 and, and gave everyone else the, the sweats.
0: It wasn't planned, it wasn't planned. I made my mom a few years older, yeah, <laughs> in that race. but yeah, yeah, definitely not going to make that happen again in the future.
1: Yeah, now you've touched on different interviews which I've seen, moving from tin tops from open wheel. You struggled a bit in Carrera Cup. Can you explain your time in Carrera Cup when you're racing a bit in Australia to get your hands on it, you know, get used to it, and even you driving my stepdad's Carrera Cup car to begin with? Can you explain the time and the difference between the two?
0: Yes. So I, I find in the Porsche cars, it's it gives it very much a numb feeling compared to the single seaters. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I, I struggled. I, I feel like I struggled. But yeah, the Porsches, you know, they're really cool cool car, the tin tops, and um, the sound of them, the feeling. It's uh, it's nice to be bouncing over curbs and getting a bit more to your karting roots, back to your karting routes. Yeah, my debut in in Porsche Career Cup didn't go so well. I don't know what I've done in Australia, but the two times that I've managed to try a race here, I haven't gone past free practice.
1: So. Yeah, I <laughs> <We laughs> didn't have any luck for a while here in Australia yeah, before the S five thousand.
0: It literally, I mean, yeah, it's like a uh. I stepped in a black cat or something with the <laughs> Was, that, was that
1: more so like in your thoughts, I'm back racing on home soil, I just hope I do well? Because like over in Europe, no one's really there thinking about you, do you know what I mean? But, but you yeah. come here, even as me as a driver, I'd be like, holy shit, I'm in front of my home crowd, my parents, my yeah. friends and family. Is that what kicked in your nerves, which White struggled at the start?
0: Probably, I guess so. There was a lot of hype because I'd been in Europe for a few years and then um, a lot of publicity when I came and, and debuted here in the Australian Career Cup both times. Yeah, like I said, unfortunately, it didn't go to plan. I had a, a crash both times. Um, one was in the first race, avoiding a an incident in, in Albert Park. And then um, basically, I managed to avoid crashing into an, another driver and end up getting T-boned into, into the gravel. And then the second time, I had a, a silly crash in Adelaide, pushing too much on old tyres. And it wasn't a big hit, but... I just managed to hit the chassis in the weak point where, you know, hit the shell. That was a tough time after Adelaide because, you know, Corona had kicked in. I wasn't driving for six months after and I was really at a crossroads with what I was going to do with my career.
1: Yeah, I remember you also, at that point as well, you actually um, driver coaching Peter Clare, who sponsored you, and you actually went back over to Europe at some stage when you drove the German Porsche Cup, I think, to teach Sophia Flourish. Were you driver training her or teaching her? In-
0: no, oh, I ended up doing a, a one race That's with Van Amersport to help the team out. So they actually asked me for a favour to, to help her out, because at the time it was a one-car team, and uh, they just entered into the Formula Regional Championship. So, um yeah, they were struggling with developing the car, so they asked me to come and help them out for a race weekend. So uh, I couldn't say no to that. Jumping yeah. back in a single seat it was cool. I felt <laughs> right at home straight away. And, uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun that weekend. I mean, helped develop the car and end up just missing out on a podium, where before that they were struggling being a couple seconds off the pace at the first race in Paul Ricard. So it was nice to be working with the old crew and see the old faces again.
1: You were lucky, obviously, you were saying during 2020 where, you know, racing stopped for a bit. You moved overseas back and you were like, at this point, you were a bit homesick. How was it racing in 2020? Because it was just a, you know, bare track and there was no fans or anything, was there?
0: Yeah, it was very strange. I mean, we raced at Le Mans for the first race of the season and just being around Le Mans with no spectators was strange because normally you have, you know, tens of thousands, probably even hundreds of thousands fans attending that weekend and that, you know, we're having like the full race go on and I'm just walking around the track and there's, you know, a couple people from Beams just sitting on the outside of the track watching. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so the, it was such a strange vibe. But yeah, obviously at least we still got to race and, you know, gather experience.
1: Did you enjoy going from Super Cup to German Porsche Cup? Or did you just think at that point, I'm just going to give it my all in this and then just go home and try and make a career in Australia?
0: I was obviously trying to give it my all in German to continue, you know, trying mm-hmm. to go down the Porsche route. But um, unfortunately, I yeah struggled that season. I, I really didn't feel like I made a step up in the second season that I had with the experience that I had. I mm. felt like I did a, a much better job the first season when I was debuting in Super Cup. So, yeah, I was pretty disappointed after the German Career Cup. You know, I never managed to get on the podium. It was uh, After that, I was, again, I was at a crossroads with my career. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. So, you know, the months of December were very tough in 2020, deciding where my career was going to go after that.
1: And then you came back here. I remember it was publicised and whatnot, quarantining in Perth. Yeah. You got a late-minute deal, with yep. um, S5000. Can you explain your deal with BRM?
0: Yeah, so um, Chris Landon had actually been speaking with Jeff. He'd been contacting me for a while, but at the time I was going to Porsche for it. So, you know, as much as I would have loved to have gone in the S5000, the budget that I had had to be allocated to Porsche at the time. But yeah, after that time, in in the end of 2020, it kind of made sense to give a S5000 race a, a crack um also for myself I just wanted to see if I still had it because I was struggling so much in the Porsche so I started losing self-belief and it made sense to, to give it a crack and basically I was doing all the negotiations and, and trying to find money together with Chris Lambden while I was in hotel quarantine it was <laughs> it was the most stressful stressful two weeks I've probably ever had being locked in the room but uh I managed to find out like a day before I was heading out that I would be racing in Tasmania So everything had to happen quick, organising flights to go to Adelaide to do the seat bid and then, you know, from Adelaide to Tassie for the race. But um, I guess good things come to those who... (laughs)
1: weight. Yeah. <laughs> How was it when you got to Tasmania though was it like finally I'm out of quarantine could you focus fully or are you still a bit like like a bit stiff?
0: Yeah I probably did feel a bit stiff because it was the heaviest I've ever got after I was out of quarantine I ended up getting so heavy and fat <laughs> in all honesty so I was probably 86 kilos I mean yep. right now I'm weighing 76 so you can imagine 10 kilos more I, I could barely fit into my suit yeah right (laughs) (laughs) so i didn't feel the best going in but i remember during that week as soon as i got out of quarantine i was outside walking and running a lot straight back on the diet but yeah obviously just to be racing again and especially when it's last minute you tend to appreciate it a lot more you don't take anything for granted so in that regard i was probably in a very good headspace going into tassie
1: You have a quite a rival, which I've heard from with Jimmy Golding. (laughs) You two have raced since go-karting days. Yeah. Who's the most fierce rival that you raced in S5000 when you got back here? Was it Jimmy or was it someone else?
0: Probably, I mean... Obviously, I was battling with Tommy, but I didn't have that many races like head-to-head with him. On-track rivalry, who I've been competing most with, has probably been Jimmy. On average, we're generally the two quickest. Jimmy's had a lot of experience in the S5000 as well, so pretty much always on pace.
1: Did you find it annoying that those guys had got to test a week before you'd actually got to hop hop in the race car at Tasmania, or were you like, this is just another thing that I've got to conquer?
0: It, it, it is what it is. Um, it obviously, it wasn't the ideal to just be rocking straight up into the race weekend with no testing or preparation um, so in that regard I didn't have so much expectation for that first race but yeah it managed to go really well I remember in the first warm-up I was p2 which was surprising I thought they'd mucked up the times because so I heard I was p7 and then I, was, I ended up being p2 and the whole weekend I basically ran in the top three also for my self-belief it was a very important weekend and I felt like I started to get a bit more passion back in into racing I was also happier to be home and just enjoying the whole thing a lot more
1: You've actually said the S5000 was one of the most fun things you've ever driven. As another driver, do you rate it to like driving a Radical or a, or a Tin Top? What's the feeling that you get when you drive on?
0: So they definitely feel like a single seater. They just feel very heavy in regards to like a Tin Top. So yeah. in the slow speed corners, you know, it, it feels like you're putting around trying to get the thing bloody turned. But as soon as you get it off the corner, you know, they fire away. They've got plenty of power. The horsepower makes it fun. And the fact that we've got such a hard tyre, we're always driving on top of the surface and, you know hustling the car I find that aspect the most fun because when you watch them from the outside like they never look hooked up they're yep. always dancing around it's a bit like the 80s yeah, you know, kind of yeah
1: because they're a hard tire but they've got so much horsepower correct so, yeah. so it's
0: like watching 80s f1 you know you see the cars yeah. moving around and the drivers hustling them so in that regard that's what makes them really fun for me
1: now obviously during the break you actually got to test the v8 supercar did you enjoy the supercar thing and are you trying to make a career now out of supercars
0: Absolutely. No, I definitely did. A lot of drivers told me not to expect much from them because Mm. they said they're, you know, big, heavy cars and they haven't got much grip and blah, blah, blah. So everyone was always talking them down. So going into it, everything was actually better than what I kind of had expected. You know, the braking was really impressive for how much weight that it's got. The grip that the car had, I was pretty surprised with, like, felt like I had even more grip than the Porsche Carrera Cup. And um, the power was very linear, like, compared to, like, the S5000, even though they're both V8. So, yeah, it was was really nice. had a really cool time. In the simulator, I was struggling with the gears quite a bit. In yeah. the real car, it tended to be quite easy, which thank God. Yeah. I, was <laughs> <laughs> I was really struggling on the simulator, but um, yeah, it was a really good uh debut test, and uh, I'm obviously very grateful that Brad Jones was the team that gave me my uh debut yeah. laps in them.
1: Not many people know this, but Brad Jones even actually gave you go on a Formula Ford before you got to go into other cars, didn't he? As well, so he he got to help you in V8s. And open wheel. He like, essentially has helped you in the background with other stuff, hasn't
0: he? He has. And, um, yeah, Tom Williamson, who knows me very well and obviously yeah. used to be a mechanic and, and work for Brad. He's the one that has been bridging the, the communication between us.
1: Well, who do you rate here out of the teams? Um, obviously, you said Pierce Lahane works for Rush Performance. Yep. So he's mates with Ollie. And Ollie yeah. helps you. With, you're now one of his driver coaches. Yeah. Um, but who are the go-kart teams that you think apart from Troy Hunt, who, who helped you at the start, who are going to be like the next big thing or going to help the next big drivers come through the ranks? you will be the next superstars like yourself?
0: Absolutely. Um, I mean, Tom Williamson has got a, his team, Tom Williamson Motorsport. Mm. And um, yeah, obviously the beneficial thing for, for him is um, having that connection with Brad, to be able to help them transition into cars. So Tom pretty often rings me just asking for advice on, on young drivers, you know, when they're planning to go to cars, which route to take, and particularly when they're going to Europe. So uh, I, I don't follow the karting scene as much these days, but I, I see that he's yeah. starting to influence a lot of drivers making
1: a step. Is there anyone that you've seen that you've been up to the track with that you think might have a career? I haven't been to the track no. to, to see, no, to be I haven't seen uh, all. Yeah. yeah. I've, <laughs>
0: I've, I've, the last time I went to the track was probably two, three years ago, and I could hardly remember any faces. of the names of and stuff. A few but, guys like Jason Burns. Yeah, We're yeah. there but one thing's for sure is the new generation that's come in a lot of the old generation hasn't really hung around like they used to so I was pretty surprised how barely I could yeah the last find time anyone. I went to
1: a kart track was like 10 years ago so, I'm, I, oh, totally, yeah, you're, you're so I totally feel I totally feel what you mean like yeah. it's just like technology it just sped up so quickly and you can't keep up with the amount of talent that's coming through the ranks absolutely what do you think about the guys in um F2 who are the two Aussies Callum Williams and Jack Doohan what do you think about those two? Do you reckon those still have a good crack this year? And do you see any of those two making it like Oscar Piastri?
0: Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, finding the right team to be able to give you the potential is, is really important. It'll be interesting to see how they develop. And uh, Jack Doohan did a really good job last season when he um, managed to qualify in the front row in Abu Dhabi alongside Oscar. So that mm. was very impressive. And um, cullum has been, been doing a really good job climbing up the ranks in, in Europe. I think he's been over there for four or five years now. But yeah, time will tell.
1: Is there any advice that you'd like to give any young racers? Like, I know I've had a lot of people even chat to me at state races, but you're at coaching that you can give advice to to get their career going, you know, from starting from essentially nothing, which you did. You started, you know, your dad and your parents mortgaged their house to get your career going. Is there any advice that you can give to those young drivers out there?
0: Um, I mean, obviously... The smart thing would be not to spend too much budget in, in go-karts. I think a lot of the kids these days and families, you know, they go over the top in karting and then by the time they get to cars, they got no budget. And the reality is when you go into cars, whatever your karting career is, it doesn't really matter. It's what you do in a car and your attitude when you arrive to a team in a car. So everyone tends to just overdo it in karting and Obviously, karting, you've got to learn the basics and it's nice to get good results, but it's more important to develop a you know, good attitude and mindset. And then from cars, that's when your real career starts
1: to happen. If you could get on the grid again kart with um, some of the best go-karters that you've raced against, like said, Dave Sierra. I think, did you ever race against him yourself though? Uh, I did two races with
0: him, but we never actually managed to have like an on-track battle. So yeah, the last time we raced him... I was following him at Rotax Nationals and him and Pierce were having a rivalry that weekend. They actually managed to crash in front of me and then I yep. got into the lead. But yeah, if there's one thing I, I really wish I, I had was a, a proper race with Dave where we had a, a real, you know, one on one battle that and, and probably having more races with my mentor Shane, Shane Piper.
1: Is there any drivers that you that are underrated that you think could have made it to your level of racing? Plenty. I couldn't think of the top
0: of my head now, but there's heaps in go karts. Heaps, yeah. heaps.
1: I Don't even want to mention your mates, Nathan and
0: oh, Mitch. For example, <laughs> Pierce Lahane's one of them.
1: Yeah, yeah, Pierce Lahane. He he obviously even got to go in a speed car and speedway. Did you, were you there to watch, witness that at Valvoline? Did you actually go to the speedway much?
0: I did. There was a there was a, a dry, like an era that I was, yeah, going there quite a lot. I can't remember which year it was, but it was like one or two years when I was about 15, 16, where I was going to Valvoline Raceway. Yeah, quite often, every weekend, every two weekends, my mum would drop me off at Parramatta, go and watch there.
1: Yeah. did you ever get tempted to hop in a sprint car or any did you ever even get offers from those guys out in the pits or not
0: I never got offers if I got an offer now I'd definitely give it a go yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's
1: hope someone from Easton Creek speedway <laughs> definitely give
0: it a go I mean it's it's a completely different level of, of racing but it would be really really cool to you know, dive into it and see what it's like
1: well thanks for coming on the podcast Joey and um, much appreciate it
0: thank you thank you Holly appreciate it man no worries good to
1: see you good to see you too I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did with Joey. Thanks again to Exclusive Body Works for supporting the show. If you want to find out more about their owner, Ron Goodman, you can listen to the last episode where he was a guest. Keep up with On the Couch with Hooley via our social media. The links are in the show notes.